Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark again? And we will be at the end of chapter 11. This is Mark chapter 11. And Mark chapter 11 has... uh, It's going to actually flow into also chapter 12. So we're going to end chapter 11 and actually move into chapter 12 also. You know, I was recently called into jury duty. Anybody ever been called into jury duty? It's a wonderful experience. And uh, you can tell most people don't want to be there. And I actually got called into a group of 100 people for an attempted murder case. So we went in and um, I was actually called up and was kind of in that jury selection panel and all that kind of stuff. So I got to experience firsthand kind of that kind of stuff. But one thing I learned very, very quickly is the judge let us know who was boss. He had all authority, bottom line. And he just said, look, here I am the boss. I have the authority here, and I can tell you what you can do and what you can't do. If you have to go to the restroom and I say no, you can't go. I mean, he was just like, boom. Well, I knew real quick in that setting I had no authority. But guys, today we'll be talking about authority, and particularly the authority that Christ has in our lives and in His person Now, kind of leading us up to the section of Scripture we're we're here today is that if you'll remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus came in and He attacked the temple. He came into the, the temple and He basically just stopped all the business, the evil business, really, the evil practices within this, in the temple. And the situation we have today is He's going to be confronted by some of the leaders of the temple. They've been waiting for Him. Now understand that this is the next day. So that attack on the temple took place on a Monday. This is Tuesday. And so Jesus is going to come back, and these guys are laying and waiting. Now these are members of what's known as the Sanhedrin. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. And they comprised 71 different people that basically were the leadership of Israel. And so this is what's going to happen today. But if you remember, when Jesus came in and he basically threw over the table, stopped everything, this is what he said in Mark eleven seventeen and 18, it says, he said, Is it not written that my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? And here's the key. Verse 18 says, The chief priests and scribes heard this, and they began seeking how they might destroy him. This is their goal. Their goal is they want him dead, done, out of there. He is messing things up for their lives, and so they are, if you will, hell-bent on having Jesus killed. And recognize this is Tuesday, what happens on Friday? He's crucified. And so it's important for us to understand, they ask him a very important question here, and they're going to say this, by what authority are you doing these things? This is a good question. The problem is he's already shown them. They'd had three years of his ministries, but they would not hear, they would not see, they would not believe. And that's the question for you. Will you believe? And really, that's the question that this is going to answer today. What have you done with the authority that God has shown you in Christ? And what have you done with the authority that God has given you as His disciple? That's what's going to be answered in this section. So let's take a look. First, we're going to read chapter 11, verses 27 through 33, and we'll take it in sections. Let's read it together. They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they came to him. And they began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? 
And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they began reasoning among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, then why did, you not, did not you believe him? But shall we say from men? And they were afraid of the people for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. So answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, the first thing we'll see this morning with this text is some people deny the authority revealed to them. God has clearly, clearly revealed Jesus as Christ, Savior, Lord, Messiah. No mistake, three clear years. These guys should have known it. But because of their sinful hearts, they will not submit to him and they outright deny him. That happened in Jesus' day and it happens in our day. Now, it says here that they came again to Jerusalem. This is Jesus and his disciples are coming back to Jerusalem because they're going back to the temple. And remember, Jesus is, is a, a rabbi, a teacher, and so oftentimes what teachers would do is they would walk and teach with their disciples, and, and that's what he's doing. He's coming into the temple, but he's teaching them at the same time. He's, he's explaining things to them. And remember, these guys are upset because just the day before, he came out and he cleansed the temple. And so, if you will, they're laying in wait. And so they want to come up to Jesus and they want to kind of confront him. And what they're hoping to do, this is their goal. They want him to say something that will cause the people to reject him or the Romans to say, aha, now we have him. Either way they win, right? If they can discredit him against the people or discredit him with Rome, they win. And this is their goal. So look at verses 27 and 28 again. It says, He was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Those are the Sanhedrin, members of the Sanhedrin. And they began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do these things? So the key word, obviously, is authority. This is the whole part of this chapter. It all deals with, does Jesus have that authority? Now, the word is excusia, and it means freedom or liberty to act, to have the right to act, to exercise your will. And we know of any person that has ever been on this earth, Jesus has ultimate authority. He is God in the flesh. He does not need the counsel of any person. He has ultimate divine authority here. But these people would not recognize us. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority has been given me on earth and in heaven. All authority. Jesus is the Son of God. He has the absolute, complete authority, and these guys should have known it. They should have recognized it. For three years, it was plainly seen. The people recognized it right in the beginning of his ministry. Mark chapter 1. Listen to verse 22 of Mark chapter 1. It says, they, being the people, were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes taught. So right away, the people go, wow. This guy does not teach the way the scribes always teach. See, the scribes, they always quoted somebody else, somebody else's authority. Jesus, he quoted his authority, which basically showed that he had authority over doctrine, over the word of God. Seventy-five different times in the gospel, Jesus says, truly I say unto you. This is so different than what the scribes would have said. But it didn't stop there. 
Jesus also showed them that not only did he have authority over doctrine, the word of God, he had authority over the spiritual realm. Look at, the verse, look at verse 27 of Mark chapter 1. It says, they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. Wow, plainly seen. He tells that spirit to leave, boom, it is gone. He shows them he has authority over the word. He shows them he has authority over the spiritual realm, over demons. But it doesn't stop there. He also told them and proved to them he had authority to forgive sins. Do you guys remember the story where those friends bring their friend on a mat and they climb up on the roof and they dig the hole and they lower him down? Remember that? And Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. But then he backs it up with what? He does a miracle. So this is Mark chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And, but Jesus says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And what did he do? Up and out. So he showed them, right? Doctrine, the demonic world, authority to forgive sins as God in the flesh. And it didn't stop there. He also showed them that he had the authority to judge. That his father, he did nothing outside of his father's will. And his father gave him the right and the authority on this earth to be the judge. Now John chapter 5 verse 19 and also 27 puts it like this. It says, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it, unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. And verse 27 says, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So Jesus has already proven in the past three years that he has complete authority on earth and in heaven over the Word of God, over the spiritual realm, able to forgive sins, authority to judge, but they would not listen. They would not hear it. They would not see it. Their hearts were so hard, they were hell-bent. And Jesus didn't need anybody else's authority. He didn't need to go to the leaders of the day and ask their, if he could do something. And he never did. Why? Because these were evil men. They had rejected God. They had rejected the word of God. And they wanted to do what they want to do. So the leaders come to him and they're hoping to trap him in a question. Look at verse 28. And they begin saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? This is not an unnatural question. It's actually a really good question, but they should have already known it. He'd proven it. And he'd actually told them time and time again. Their ears were stopped. Careful, careful church. Has God been knocking on the door of your heart? Has he been showing you without a, without a doubt that he is who he claims to be, but you will not listen? Your heart is so hard. You're gonna do it your way. You're hell bent. But you know what? It's amazing. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, many people recognized his authority. Do you guys remember the story of the centurion? He had, a, he had one of his slaves that was sick. And in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus comes to Capernaum and this man comes to him. Let me share that with you. It's Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. It says, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearful and tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, 
but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. That man recognized right there that Jesus had all authority. You know what it is? These leaders, they don't want to know the truth. Do you want to know the truth? They were seeking their own self-preservation. They wanted their own nobility. They wanted their own power. They didn't want the truth of God. Jesus was all about truth. He is truth. But they would not look at it. They were not good Bereans. Remember Acts 17? That if somebody comes and says something, you go back to the Word of God and make sure they didn't do that. They just wanted to know that they had the power. And Jesus was messing things up. And guys, we see that people today. There are many people today that won't listen. You share clearly with them the truth of God's word. They understand clearly the gospel. But because of sin in their hearts or maybe sinful lifestyles, something that is evil, but they want to call it good, they will not listen. Their ears are stopped. Their eyes will not see. Their hearts are hard and they will not believe. Where are you this morning? So what Jesus does is he poses back a question. He's brilliant. Look at verses 29 and 30. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here it is. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. This is an unbelievably brilliant move by Christ here. Now remember, John the Baptist, he was the forerunner of Christ, right? He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He came preaching repentance so that people's hearts would be prepared for the coming one. And remember, John himself was a miracle, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. His birth was a miracle. His parents were very old. So he comes and he is that forerunner. By the way, all the people of Israel, they believed he was a prophet. They had no doubt this man is truly a prophet. But remember, John also baptized Jesus, right? And remember when Jesus came to him, what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right there, John gave the statement, this is the Messiah. He is the one who has come. He's taking away the sin of the world. Right there, plain as day, right? And then what happened? He baptized Jesus. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice, it came out of heaven. And it said, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. And the people there heard it. Guys, it's plain. It's plain. And these guys are in trouble and they know it. They want nothing to do with John. They're stuck. You see, if they say that John is from God, then they have to say that they agree with what he taught. And what did he teach? Jesus is the Messiah. Uh Uh-oh. If they say he's from men, they got a bigger problem, the people are going to hurt him because they all believe he was a prophet. They're stuck. They don't know what to do. It's a package deal. You you take John, you get Jesus. You deny John, you deny what the people already believe, and you're going to be in problem with them. But guys, they want prestige. They want honor from men, and they don't know what to do. And so what do they do? They have a meeting. 
they have a little council. Let's have a little powwow. So they hold on a minute and they get together and talk. Look at verses 31 and 32. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to be a real prophet. Now, Luke 20, verse 6, it's a parallel verse. He gives a little more about that thinking about men. He puts it like this. Luke says this. He says, But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. Ah, that's the deal, isn't it? They're afraid for their own heads. See, Jesus is a hindrance to their ministry, which isn't a ministry at all. He's a hindrance to their power. They're stuck, and they know they're stuck. And the problem is they don't want the truth. They could care less about the truth. They want to hold position. And that's what's wrong with many people's hearts today. They're not really interested in the truth. They want to do what they want to do, and they want basically the Bible to come alongside and say it's okay. Is that not true? Or they just won't listen. If you look at verse 33, these guys had to swallow their pride. And they came to Jesus and they said, we do not know. And then Jesus said this. He said, well, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Does answering Jesus truthfully, does it threaten your way of life? To answer truthfully that Jesus has all authority, does it threaten you? Is there something in your life, if you give him that authority in your life, are you threatened? Careful. Have you been holding back from the Lord because you're saying, I'm trying to work things out? Today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. That's always the key. These people would not stand up for him. They would not stand up for truth. Will you? Will you stand up for him in that day when you're questioned? Or will you be quiet? Will you stand up for the truth? Now these leaders, they failed right there. They sealed their coffins. They are condemned. By not answering, they denied Jesus. They did not give him the authority he was rightfully due. They did not honor his name. Jesus gave them one last opportunity there. This was like that last little sliver of grace that God presented to them. They had a moment They had a moment to say, you know what? I believe truly John was a prophet. And he proclaimed Jesus the Messiah. I have to believe that. They would not. And right there, their opportunity to repent was done, over. They would receive judgment. Because Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You never want to be in a position where Jesus says, no longer am I going to give you any more light. No longer am I going to provide for you more grace. I've said all I'm going to say to you. That's it. I'm done. Your fate is sealed. The curtain had, always fall, had already fallen on these men. They were all completely and already damned. Careful. If you keep rejecting the truth God provides, He may one day stop providing that. If you keep rejecting the light, one day that light may go out. And He warns us again and again and again. The scripture is clear. It says, today is the day of salvation. Genesis 6.3 says, the Lord said, my spirit will not always strive with man. Hosea 4.17 says, Ephraim has joined with idols. Let him alone. That's a scary one right there. How long does God have to warn you? Right here, Jesus is done. And if you remember... 
just a couple days before, he came into Jerusalem. Guys, he was weeping, weeping. And he says this, if you had known the day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. What a scary thought. So sad. So many people, they'll take advantage of God's authority that he's shown them. They will not listen. They will not see. Their hearts are so hard, they will not believe, and it's been presented to them time and time and time again. Their fate was sealed. Guys, I like to work out boxing. I don't know if you know that. There's a gentleman here in our church. His name is Gary Ballard, and for years I've worked out with Gary. It's a fun class. You just do, it's a really hard workout. But one of my favorite parts about the class is Gary is an evangelist. I mean, you go to his class, you're going to hear about Jesus in one way or another. Sometimes he has us doing these moves and he's saying, he's saying psalms or sometimes he stops and says, hey, this guy needs prayer. And we all have to gather around and pray for him. So I just love Gary's classes. And a few years ago, there was a guy and his name was, I'm just going to say his name is Bob. It's not his real name. But Gary was really always reaching out to this guy. And in fact, as he invited him to church, and I saw Bob here a couple times and Bob and I struck up a friendship and I had an opportunity to share with Bob too and and I'll never forget this one day after class. I, I walked outside and Bob was in waiting. Now, Bob, had a, he was born Jewish, but he really wasn't practicing. And, and he liked to talk about Jewish history and try to compare it to Christian thought. And he'd kind of come up with a question to try to snag me, you know, that kind of stuff. And so he was kind of laying in wait for me. And, and so Bob and I started this discussion. And we talked probably about half an hour, 45 minutes. And, but during that discussion, I had the opportunity to, to clearly, I think, present the gospel as best I could. And and I could tell it was like it, it impacted him. It, it hit him. It, like there was something there. And so I pleaded with Bob. I said, Bob, today, man, you can receive Christ today. Do that. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, come on, man. You're, you're trying to work, work and you're trusting the Lord. And, and Bob would not listen. And said, I said, okay. I said, come to church. You've been before. Come again. I said, I'm inviting you. He said, okay, I'll come. I'll come this week. I said, cool. You know what the sad thing is, guys? That week, Bob died of a heart attack. Never to hear the gospel again. You don't want to be in that place. You do not know if today is the day. That moment was gone forever. Now Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 32, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny my Father who is in heaven. Now, I know that some of you are thinking this. Are you saying, Pastor Rob, that for certain people there's no more hope and that God will not save them? Let's be honest. I had that thought. I think as long as there's breath, there's hope. That's always my contention. If you're breathing, there's hope. And that God's grace is available. However, I want to put it this way, God knows. God knows whether this is your last day or not. You don't. And today is that day. And if it's clear to you today, I would highly, highly, highly recommend to you, do not walk out of this place without receiving Christ, giving Him the authority that is due Him. So some people deny the authority revealed to them. Second thing, some people abuse the authority given to them. Some people abuse the authority given to them. God throughout the centuries has appointed people to positions of authority to lead, guide, and direct His people in the Word of God. But many have taken advantage of God and have abused the authority that was given to them. Look at verses 1 through 8. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the winepress and built a tower and rented it out. This is in chapter 12, verse 1. 
and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. And at harvest time, they sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent them another slave and they wounded him in the head and they treated him shamefully. And he sent another and that one they killed. And so with many others, beating some and killing others. And he had one more to send, a beloved son. And he sent him last of all to them saying, they will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, hey, this is, um, this is their heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. Okay, so the blatant denial right here of the authority of Christ and his person. Jesus decides right now he's going to only speak to them in parables. And so he shares a parable with them. These leaders hate Jesus. <laughs> they hate him. They hate his popularity because it steals their popularity. They hate his influence. They hate the praise of the people for him because that's what they want. And so what Jesus is going to do right here, he's going to reveal their murderous hearts and he's going to reveal his impending death in this parable. And verse 1 says he began to speak in parables, plural. We need to understand that Matthew actually shares three parables. Mark only shares one, but I think it's the main one. And it has the main idea that all three have. It's talking about the authority of Christ and the abuse of the authority right here. So again, if you look at verse 1 and 2, it says, A man planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it. He dug a vat under the vine press. He built a tower and he rented it out to vine growers. And, they went on a, and then he went on a journey. And at harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. And you may notice in your Bible, if, if you're looking there, that there's a cross-reference to Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'd like you to turn there. I'd like to talk this through a little bit to give you some information. In Isaiah chapter 1 and 2, it's basically talking about the same kind of idea in Isaiah's day. And it's basically pointing that the same thing that was happening in Isaiah's day is happening now in Jesus' day. And so Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this. It says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. A well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. And he dug it all around and removed its stones and he planted it with a choice vine and he built a tower in the middle of it and he hewed out the wine vat and he expected it to produce good grapes, but it only produced worthless ones. So the prophet Isaiah, he gives the same kind of analogy of planting a vineyard and then it shows that he does all this stuff so that he's really careful that it produces really good grapes. What did he do? He put it in a fertile hill. He... Uh, dug all around it. He, he removed the stones and, and he, he put the choicest vines there. Guys, he built a tower in the middle of it. He hewned out a wine vat. And all of this was done so that when that servant came, he would expect good fruit, good grapes. But what did he get? He did not get that. It's, it's, there's a Hebrew word. It's, it's called buhushim and it means sour berries. They're not edible and they can't be used for wine. They're worthless. And then if you look down at verse 7, it says this, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, he found bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So we know that the vineyard of the Lord, we know who the planter is, it's God, it's the Lord, right? And what did he plant? He planted Israel, the people. And he expected, he put people in charge, if you will, over it. 
so that they would produce good fruit. He'd given them the word of God. And this is a picture of the, the scribes. They should have been faithful to the word to, to, to feed it and so that it would produce, if you will, a good crop. And so we have a, an interpretive key here from Isaiah. And if you want to turn back to Mark chapter 12, basically he says, Mark, Jesus is saying, hey, he did the same thing. He, he put up a wall around it. He dug a vat. He built a tower. And we know in Isaiah's case that it, it only brought forth sour berries. That's showing that basically judgment had fallen upon them. It's, it's a picture of their apostasy. They were characterized by immorality and justice and idolatry. And Jesus is saying, you know, the same thing's happening today. You guys are unjust. There's immorality. This is exactly the same picture today that's happening there. Maybe not the idolatry, but their hearts were given to other things. And Jesus says that there's these vine growers, and who are those? Those are the religious leaders. They are the ones who, put, who are stewards. What God had given them, he'd given them their word. And then the, the owner, being God, went on a journey. That's a picture of the Old Testament history from Abraham on. And, and what did they do? They set up a Levitical system. They had the priests. And, they, and God gave them the oracles of God. And the scribes are supposed to teach it. And the people would be fed and they would grow and produce a good fruit. And so when God sent his prophets, they should, they should have found a thriving nation. But what happened? No. Whenever the prophets came, they found strife and sin. And so verse 2 says, a harvest time, what's that? That's the season where God comes and he wants to find spiritual fruit. And also in verse 2, it says that there are slaves that sins. And if you look through up to verse 5, what happens it says that at harvest time he sent slave and vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. Verse 3 says they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent another slave and they wounded him in the head and they treated him shamefully. Then they sent another and they killed him and, and with many others beating some and killing others. And so over the long history of Israel, that's the picture, isn't it? And that's exactly what's happening here. God had given these people in Jesus' day that same authority. And what did they do? They abused it. They abused it. This is so important. Are you abusing the authority of God that he's given you? Now Jesus, just about a week and a half earlier than this, said this about these leaders. Listen close. Matthew 23. Because these guys don't think this is them, right? They think they're doing everything right. But Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say to yourselves, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of prophets. But you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of murderers, the murderers of prophets. These vine growers, Jesus is saying, you guys are them. You're just like your fathers had been. And you're going to do that, and you're actually going to kill the very last prophet, me prophet, priest, and king, right? Their hearts were evil, very evil. So what's God going to do? Look at verses 6 and 8. He sends a son, his beloved son. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son, 
But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir. God, let's kill him. And the inheritance, it'll be ours. And they took him and they killed him and they threw him out. So who's the son? Jesus Christ, right? And that's exactly what's going to happen. And they said, hey, we're going to get everything. This is going to be ours. They want nothing to do with what God has planned. They want to do what they want to do. And that story is the story of the crucifixion. They're going to take this son and they're going to crucify him. And it's interesting, these guys are the last generation to kill prophets, but they're going to be the first generation to kill the saints. These are evil, evil men. And it says here, too, that they, that they not only killed the son, but they threw him out of the vineyard. That's a picture, I think, of the whole nation of Israel rejected Christ. What a sad, sad story. And it's true because John 1.11 says what? He came to his own, but his own received him not. That's the picture we have here. Are you, are you abusing the authority of God? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today in the church. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into excellent life. Are you proclaiming the excellency of Christ to those that are lost? Or are you abusing that authority? Casey was up here sharing that we're going to help people understand how to share the Lord. As soon as he started to talk, let me ask you, did you shut that down? I don't want to do that. God has given you an opportunity to share. And what an opportunity. Are you using that opportunity or or are you not, which would be considered abusing that opportunity. When somebody comes to you and says, wow, do you go to church? Are you quiet? Are you able to share Christ with them? It's also like this in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so then the thing that they want to slander you as evildoers, that because of your good deeds, as they observe them, they're going to glorify God on the day of His visitation. Are you abstaining from fleshly lusts? Is your behavior one that when people see that, unbelievers say, wow, there's something different there? Or are you abusing that authority? And there's one more. Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures. I mean, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. God says that He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful with the Word of God, to share it. He wants us to be faithful with our lives so that people can see a difference. But He also wants us to be faithful to steward with what He has given us. Are you faithful? Or are you abusing it? Do you understand that the reason for the Reformation that was spurned by Martin Luther in 1517 is because the Catholic Church was abusing the authority that was given to them? Now, there were many things that they did wrong, but the thing that really kicked off the Reformation is that they started to sell what's known as indulgences. And indulgences basically said this, you can buy your way into heaven. That by money, you buy a certificate and you buy back merit. And that merit adds up, and you get a get-out-of-jail-free card, and you get to walk into heaven. And so what Martin Luther did is he wrote a thesis, 95 things, and he nailed it to the Wittenberg Church. Well, it happened to be at that time that something called the Gutenberg Press had been developed, and they got that, they printed it, it fled through the city, and boom, Reformation. God was done. 
He turned it over to a new people that would be faithful to the Word of God. Now, some of you might be saying, well, if Jesus has all authority, do I have any real responsibility? Yes. You have responsibility to share the Word, to be an example to others, to be a good steward with what He has given you. Some people abuse the authority given to them. Some people deny the authority revealed to them in the last one. Some people lose the authority assigned to them. Some people take advantage of the authority assigned to them, and one day they may just find that it has been stripped away from them. Scary thought. Look at verses 9 through 12 of chapter 12 in Mark. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers, and he will give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him, yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke a parable against them. And so they left him, and they went away. So what do the owners do? What does the owner of the vineyard do? Now, the owner of the vineyard is God, right? What is he going to do? Verse 9, he's going to come and destroy the vine growers. He's going to give it, if you will, to others. Divine judgment has fallen here. And God is going to come about, and He's going to change the game. He's going to change everything. We know that happened, right? 70 AD, Rome came in, totally destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, not one stone upon another. But here's what's interesting. All the records were destroyed. They don't know what tribe they're in any longer. No more sacrifices, no more ceremonies. No more Sadducees, no more Pharisees, no more chief priests. The whole system is gone and collapsed. Done. Wiped away. And God gave stewardship, if you will, to another. Who's that? The apostles. The apostles. Now, Matthew 21, 43 says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruit of it producing fruit of it. And isn't this a slap in the faith of the religious leaders, right? He gives it to Galileans, to fishermen, to tax collectors, to common people, and now what? Even to Gentiles. Oh, heavy, heavy set of verses. And verses 10 and 11 says, Have you not read the Scripture? The stone on which the builder rejected became a chief cornerstone. And this came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And the picture here is when they were building the temple, Solomon's temple, there was a stone that they rejected. They put it to the side. But then he got it back and they found that it was perfect to build the entrance into the temple. And they made it the chief cornerstone for the entrance into God's temple. That's the picture. Who is our door? Who is the way? Christ. It glorifies Him. We have been given such a responsibility as the church for the Word of God to disseminate, but also to be faithful to it. And this is what Peter said right after he healed a man in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. He says, Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, that God raised him from the dead, and by his name this man stands before you fully healed. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For by no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Guys, there's no other name, no other authority. It has all been given to Christ. And what have you done with that? Have you taken that authority 
Have you been faithful to it? Isn't it sad when you see someone who's been faithful for years and all of a sudden something happens, you see that authority been stripped away? When Karen and I came off the the mission field, we came back to our home church. It wasn't this church. And we were at the very first Sunday, I'll never forget, we kind of looked at each other and said, something's different here. And I think what it was, personally, I think there was pride in the senior pastor's heart. And the only reason I say that, because in a few weeks, he began to do an eight-part series on his own personal testimony. And after about the second week, I'm like, I'm done. And sure enough, we were done. We left shortly after that. But it broke my heart. Because this man had such a vibrant ministry and the Lord had used him in mighty ways to lead God's people. But instead it became about him, not about the Lord. And I watched over a period of about four years the Lord strip away that until finally he replaced that man with someone who would be faithful. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful with what God has given you? Guys, there is no other name under heaven. Don't close up your ears. Don't close your eyes, but believe. Let's pray. Well, Father, serious, serious words from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, I know that for some this has been a convicting message, a a message of warning. But for some, this could be a message of hope that you've opened a door for them, Lord, that now they know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus truly is Savior and Lord. His authority is plain. Would you open their hearts now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.